G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. As we do on a Thursday, always love a catch-up with Charles Newington, the National Director of Family Voice Australia. Charles back with us. Hi, Charles. Welcome back to 2020. Good morning, Neil. Charles, big things to talk about today, especially around the global announcement of a pandemic for coronavirus. And that's not the only contagion that we'll talk about today, given the possibilities of major economic downturn in the world. Of course, that is likely to affect us here in Australia. But let's start with another big issue, which is a global power struggle issue, that struggle between Russia and Turkey and oil prices. Uh, What are your thoughts on the developments that are going on in the Middle East right now as we speak? Yes, thank you, Neil. Uh, The American papers, New York Times and uh, Wall Street Journal are are reporting on the manoeuvring that's been going on around the oil price and how, um, quite exactly how it was at Saudi Arabia, who had been in a a kind of an association, an agreement with Russia to keep a kind of a floor under the the price of oil. They've sort of fallen out and, um, and, and, and gone to a price war on this and uh, it's escalated things um, for Russia, brought things forward, I think, in terms of their agenda. Uh, some of the, R- the Russians are sort of saying they were surprised at the aggression, aggressiveness of, of, of Saudi Arabia in, in, in going to this price war. And what that's meant is that um, I think it's meant that uh, it gives us some sort of background to why Russia has agreed to sort of a truce with Turkey so it can focus upon this oil issue. And uh, the big agenda for them when you read the, the American media, is that the, 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 the Russian oil barons are, 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 are trying to uh, trying to undercut the U.S. shale oil um, market, uh, which which is which is more expensive to produce than than oil you pump out of the ground, and so that they they want to try to crush that and have a serious impact upon the American economy. So. Um, this is going on in the background, you know, and most of us are thinking about the coronavirus. There's also this this thing that we, we just go, drive up to the petrol pumps and we, we say, praise God, look at the petrol, it's only a dollar twenty a litre. You're you raising know, and, some really <laughs> important points here, Charles, because, yeah. you know, most of us, as you say, we're celebrating, we're driving to the petrol station and we're saying, oh, the petrol prices are low today. And without too much thought for the fact that there is a... A global price war going on over oil and a global repositioning. And when you mention the likes of Russia and an understanding that Russia actually has some levels of cash reserves uh, to see themselves through uh, while they're, in fact, uh, in some sense here, and I'll get your thoughts on this, uh, so- seemingly sowing seeds of of uh, turmoil and price war in the global oil market. Uh, this is pretty significant, isn't it? Because we don't often think of the global posturing that's going on that's affecting the price of our fuel at the pump. No, that's right. I, I think that, um, you know, I understand people don't particularly want to get into the background of all this, but it, 
and and the American media have a, have got a historical reason why they're going to characterise us as some kind of a new um, uh, kind of global competitiveness, uh, uh, Russia asserting itself. Um, but I think that it is um, um, significant that it's happening coincidentally with the impact of coronavirus on the global economy as well. I think we've we've seen we've seen uh, from the, the this this pandemic, as it's now pronounced and declared, uh, we've seen that uh, pandemics of this kind have. They don't just have, a, you know, an effect upon travel. They have an effect upon the economies of the world and nations very significantly. And 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 this tests the ability of, of nations and of the globe to manage uh, pandemics. And uh, what we found is that it's very difficult to manage these uh, these kinds of pandemics. This is a relatively moderate pandemic when we consider the, you know, the mortality rate. Uh, but, but nevertheless, it's, it spreads rapidly, and uh, it, it's just—it's all over the world now, and so it's, it's deemed a pandemic, and nations are being urged to take very strong action to contain it. And people like nations like Italy, Italy have basically closed retail, uh, with the exception of uh, the essentials of food acquisition and, and medication and things like that. All other shops are shut. Uh, as a way of sort of saying we've just got to bite the bullet, take 14 days out where we all self-isolate and uh, hope that we'll come out of this with some kind of control. And 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 that kind of message is is probably the message that's going to be taken more broadly across the world. Um, and and that, that's so it's a critical moment if you're going to be if you're going to be kind of doing something to to sort of rattle the, the, the economic the global economic environment, you're going to do it around about now just to test. The reserves, the resources, uh, the, the courage of 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 the, the great players of the world. Good to get and that uh, context, Charles. Mm. As we talk about global positioning of nations, as we talk about the advent of the coronavirus. In fact, in Australia today, there's an expectation. The Prime Minister and the Treasurer are going to be announcing a major stimulus package and uh, businesses likely to get somewhere up to $25,000 and instant tax relief. There's going to be some provision in there so that welfare recipients can uh, they get some one-off cash payments. Uh, all of this uh, all about trying to stop our economy sliding into recession. That is where the government plan is, and we're going to hear some more about that today. But, of course, coronavirus... Uh, it's a contagion, but it's one contagion that's causing all sorts of other contagions. Uh, let's talk about contagions for a few moments because uh, because there's a lots of those going hand in hand with the coronavirus. Yes, well, I don't think they're necessarily connected. It's 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 if you look at um, um, what I, what I've suggested to you is that. Um, the West, um, countries that have got a, tr- a historical uh, background in, in Western civilization and the Judeo-Christian ethic, um, they're experiencing other kinds of social contagions, things like marriage and family dysfunction. And I'm so pleased that you're having um, Brett Ryan on to talk about this because this is a, right at the bottom of, of, uh, of society. What is it that holds society and community together? It's, 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 the, it's the functionality of the family. And when that starts to fall apart, well, then the cost of government and the cost of the community is just huge. 
and um, we can see that. I mean, we can see it. Say every every marriage that uh, that dissolves, you know, that that household gets divided in two, and and uh, and half the week the children are in one of the homes, and the other half they're in the other. That sort of thing, you know, it just it sort of creates all kinds of chaos in terms of housing stock. And we start to build different kinds of homes to accommodate the, the dysfunction of the family. And um, and of course, it creates this great loneliness as well in people. People live these isolated lives because their extended families are broken up. So when you get into a situation like the coronavirus, there are so many people that are no longer living in a supportive family environment, and and that's across the society. And so the family is such a vital institution. Charles, where do you see us at today? Because we'll often reflect on this program on the wonderful heritage that has shaped Australia to be the nation that it is. It's considered a Western nation, and we can trace that back to some Christian foundations that have given us the sorts of support networks that we have, even to the point where the family is made stronger as a result of some of those. But we're moving to a time now, and some will say, some use that word post-Christian, but there is a certain sense in which in a day and age when secularization is really biting, taking hold in some sections of our community, uh, there's a certain rejection of Christianity and I wonder whether you've got any thoughts about context for where we are and whether Australians have faith to see us through what might be a real crisis this year. Yes, I, th- I think that um, every culture has got a, it's got a wellspring and um, when we look, for instance, at the Indian society, we can see within Indian society that Hinduism is the wellspring and uh, and it doesn't really matter what the constitution or the legislation says. Um, the wellspring is what actually uh, shapes how it's implemented, and and that's what we've had in in, Judea, in Western civilizations where the Judeo-Christian ethic provided the wellspring of values, cultural values, which meant that you know you had legislation uh, on the books, but uh, society was generally um, 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 kind of inclined to embrace the positive influence of legislation because it was just, it was fair and, um, and it was in the common interest. Um, when, when a society rejects the wellspring and says, well, we don't, we don't need God and what historically happened for us uh, you know, a couple of generations ago, um, you, uh, a lot of your listeners will remember the phrase that, um, that, that they were sent to Sunday school by their parents. <laughs> yeah. The parents didn't go to church anymore, but they sent their kids. You know, that sort of thing. That, that generation, the post-war generation did that. And we can see that uh, for a number of reasons, there was, there was this, this turning away from, from the wellspring and finding the sucker and strength in other places, particularly materialism. And we entered into the post-World War II materialistic boom in Western civilization. And, 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 that's, and that's where people got their buzz. They got their buzz by having a newer car or a bigger house. But that, uh, that we're now at a point where the, the, we're so far removed from the wellspring now that that um, the, the 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 moral benefits that were like the afterglow of that, you know, where people still respected each other, etc., and spoke to neighbours and neighbourhoods were safe. That stuff's all gone now, and now we're in a situation where people are looking to something else to give them the strength to to live day by day, to face the challenges of life. And secularism simply just doesn't provide that. And and so, um, you know, a friend of mine who's um, um, in, in, uh, in, in the legal profession, he's, 
he, he recently had a meeting where he was just uh, floating this idea, discussing this idea with, with intellectuals about what happens when a society has a, a legisl- uh, laws that have been formed against the background of the Judeo-Christian ethic. Now, having rejected the Judeo-Christian ethic, so many of the laws look really different and uh, they look oppressive now or whatever because the, the ethic has changed. And, and for the church, I, I suggest that the sun has set on the idea of easy faith. You know, on the cool church and easy faith smoke machines, it's 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 set on that, and that we're entering now into a, a like a Gethsemane season for the church, where we're having to do some deep soul searching, uh, because the issues that we face are not small incidental issues about uh, whether the air conditioner is better in this church than the next. The question here now is: that our society is literally uh, deconstructing; it's literally dissolving around us, and and we've got huge problems like um, the mental health issues and the incidents of drug use. Things are just, just escalating out of control. And 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 I I, I I say to people that we may be at the at the end of um the end of easy faith, but we're not at the end of grace. You know, God is is not abandoning his church. He's just allowing us to go through a deep rethink, a reset. Uh, and I, I believe that because of the nature of our God, not because of our goodness, but because he is such a faithful God, and such a wonderful God, he will bring the church through. And I love those words, you know, from the book of Revelation that says that the bride has made herself ready and uh, and that we've taken some responsibility for our responsibility to God and to the nation and to the community. And uh, we've allowed him to do this work in us so that we are ready for whatever may come including the Messiah himself. Powerful thoughts where we are called to take responsibility. And when we discuss the way that society looks as it secularizes, uh, rarely do we put all of those components together. And uh, you've spoken of things like the you know dysfunction of families, that we'll be talking some those sorts of issues in resolving conflict uh, as we go on through our conversations through the morning, as you say, with focus on the family. But when we talk about these other consequences of what happens uh, when we leave Christ behind, when we leave biblical wisdom and truth behind and we start to replace that with all sorts of other ideologies, uh, this idea of the sexualization of children and uh, the rise of the confusion that comes with trans- transgenderism, mental illness on the rise, the drug epidemics uh, that are on so many different levels. Sometimes we talk about drug epidemics and the sorts of effects that they have on communities, just one sort, say uh, marijuana uh, or the ice ad- epidemic. But put all those together with the all the other drugs that people are addicted to and things get very, very scary. And the link here, Charles, and what might just uh, give some insight into what this secularization is leading to, uh, the rise in mental health issues. It seems to be everybody will understand that's happening in our communities, but perhaps here be able to link that to the consequences of leaving God and truth and wisdom behind. I have the view that that genuine faith, not not just the superficial faith that sort of um, just calms my nerves every now and again when I put in a Christian song, but genuine relating to God, what that does is it resolves our anxieties and our identity issues, the deep issues of who we are and why we exist. It resolves those things in 
in the in the in the person of God Himself, that the person of God makes sense of everything, uh, even even suffering and injustice, um, because we see in the way in which God addresses that in in the offering of His Son to humanity as the way by which the great uh, crimes of humanity, whether they're personal, whether they're global, how these issues are resolved. They're resolved in the sacrifice that God has provided for all humanity to be reconciled to himself and to one another. And and that, um, what that does is it, it, it creates a, a, a flaw deep down in the soul, as it were, a, a foundation, so that when, when the troubles of life sweep over us, we've got somewhere to go. We know where our anchor is. And when people don't have that flaw, you know, that's, that soul anchorage, well, then what they tend to do is they tend to escape from their troubles. They just they don't, don't, they don't think that there's a, a long-term solution, so they just want a short-term fix, and they'll hit the drugs or they'll hit the grog or something like that, or they'll go and do something that makes them feel good just for a while. It's a kind of a, a form of escapism. But the thing is it has these terrible consequences on their on their health, on their mental health, on their social health and relationships with other people. And if we fixed, you know, this, these two reports that have recently come out, they, they, the one that there's a commission of inquiry in New South Wales last month that found that between 200,000 and 500,000 people nationwide saw, seek help for alcohol and drug abuse every year. That's half a million people seek help for it, but most do not receive it. And so if they keep going back into the community with these addictions and all the kind of destructive uh, consequences of those addictions to their families and to their communities, um, uh, you know, we, we're seeing a major reason for social dysfunction. But what, we're, what I'm talking about is why people go there. They go there because they don't know uh, the fountain of living water, who is Jesus Christ himself, that, that provides that restoration, that wholeness, that healing. That, that peace to the soul. And so they, so they take these tragic alternatives. Well, the rise of social dysfunction and bringing into contrast much more starkly what it is that we need to be searching for and when finding it, implementing the wisdom of God to produce not only harmony in our own family, that, but what overflows from that in the face of what Charles calls existential threats, whether they be within our family, whether they be within our community, or whether they be within the world, seeking not only comfort from knowing God, but also then the solutions and the courage to be able to implement those solutions. Charles, you are always just full of wonderful wisdom to be able to share in circumstances that are going on, not only in our families, but in those bigger issues that are happening around the world. I do want to point listeners to the uh, to the website of Family Voice Australia, uh, familyvoice.org.au, and there's lots of great resource you'll be able to access there. Charles Newington is the National Director of Family Voice Australia. It's familyvoice.org.au. Charles, thanks so much for being part of 2020 once again today. We'll catch up again next week. Thank you again, Neil. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.